Over the course of my life, I've looked for different mentors to help me as a pastor, to help me grow, to help me develop as a leader. And about a decade ago, I was introduced to Darren DeGraff, a mutual friend of ours said, Darren, this is Dave. Dave, this is Darren. Mentoring relationship begin. And Darren has been a blessing to me ever since. He's encouraged me. He's helped me. He's given me a solid kick in the pants when I needed it most and also just helped me grow as a leader overall. Darren has worked for Arrow Leadership. He was the senior associate pastor at Beulah, and now he's president of Partners International, and it's the first time in about 10 years I've had the privilege of introducing one of my mentors. So let's give him a warm Ellerslie welcome as Darren comes. Well, thank you, Dave, and uh, church, you have a great pastor in Dave. He's, uh, I've, uh, as I've journeyed with him, I've had the privilege of hearing him pray for you and, uh, and sometimes mourn for you and often celebrate together. Uh, love his family. Uh, his wife, Jenna, did, uh, did uh, I, she would say maybe that uh, I was her boss, but in actuality, she was my boss. If you know Jenna, you'd know that to be true. Uh, and so, uh, so love them. Hi, Jenna. And, uh, and such a privilege to be here. Well, greetings from the global church that I represent through the relationships that I have through Partners International Canada. Just this past week, I've had the privilege of speaking with uh, church leaders from all over the world. In fact, you can pray for me. Tonight, I'm leading a workshop for a number of church leaders in Myanmar. And uh, to be honest, I am so humbled and, and still a little concerned as to, Lord, what is it that I have to share with these bold, courageous leaders serving in one of the most challenging places in the world? Well, let me tell you a story about one of the connections that I've had. It's a leader who's now living in Abu Dhabi. He didn't intend on living in Abu Dhabi, but uh, he's uh, been one of our Christian workers working in Afghanistan for the last decade. And uh, as you probably know, in the summer, the Taliban swept through and took control of the country again, and, and his Christian mission became much more complicated and that much more intense. And so since the uh, summer, he has been helping us to care for about 100 Christian families of Muslim backgrounds who are experiencing persecution and incredible hardship. But as he's done so, he's come onto the Taliban radar and his life and the lives of his family members were threatened. And so one time just in October, he heard word that if he was ready in three hours, he and his wife, his two young kids, his wife was actually pregnant, uh, would be able to board an airplane and get out of Afghanistan. And so without even the time to reach out to us and let us know, he hopped on this airplane with his wife. I'm imagining how the conversation would have went uh, at home. You know, hey, honey, we have the chance to get out of here. And if it were my wife, she'd say, great, let's pack and go. And I'd say, well, I'm not sure. I've got a mission to do here and a ministry to do here, to which my wife would have probably said, have fun, right? And she would have got on that plane. And so he and his wife, pregnant wife, and two kids get on this plane. They don't even know where they're going. And they landed in Abu Dhabi, which is uh, the, city, the capital city of Qatar. And there they live in a squalid refugee camp now. Their baby was born there in this refugee camp. And all likelihood points that they might be there for the next three years. As, I'm, as we're chatting with him about this uh, experience and how difficult this is going to be, he's asking us for resources, not just for his own family, but to assist the other refugees. And he says, and, oh, do I have a captive audience? He's like, where else are they going to go? 
You know, back in September, uh, I had invited him to participate with me on a video call with the board of directors of Partners International. We'll often do these video calls with our donors or others. His situation was so intense that we only refer to him as Brother A. We don't talk about his name very often. And I couldn't ask donors to participate because of security reasons, but I could invite my board of directors. I should be able to trust them. And we're in this conversation with them. And when the conversation ended, I asked could we pray for you, Brother A? He says, absolutely, if I could pray for you too. And so we pray, and, and you'd, you'd probably know our prayer. Our, our, our prayer would probably be just like what you would pray if you were praying for somebody in his circumstance. We, we prayed for safety, and we prayed that the Holy Spirit would protect him in the ministry, and that his ministry would be a blessing, and that people would uh, receive the resources that have been distributed, because it's incredibly difficult to get resources in there. And we prayed that prayer. And then he prayed. And his prayer was, Nothing like our prayers. His prayer was completely biblical, but a prayer that I've never prayed for anybody else in my life. Some of it at the beginning, you can relate to probably. Right? He, he thanked God for the church in Canada and, <coughs> excuse me, that we had not forgotten about him and others uh, during his time working in Afghanistan. He thanked God for the encouragement and the resources that we were providing. And then he prayed for us. And he prayed that we, the church in Canada would know the joy of sharing in the suffering of Christ and rejoice in such suffering. I've never prayed that for anyone before. I'm not sure you and I actually want him to pray that kind of prayer for us, but it's a biblical prayer. Rejoice in suffering. When I think about all of my first world complaints, I must confess that I don't rejoice in suffering. I, I complain in inconvenience. Church, today I want to share something special and important with you that I've learned in the time that I've spent with Partners International Canada. I've learned that we, the church in Canada, desperately need to learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ who live around the world and embrace Jesus despite persecution and challenge. I truly believe that in the 21st century, the church in places like Afghanistan or China or the Middle East have much more to teach us than we have to offer them. This morning, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that's well-known to most of us. It's found in the book of Matthew, right at the very end. If you're uh, looking in your Bibles, it's in Matthew 28. It's Jesus speaking to his disciples. And Jesus says this. Some of us have memorized it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you're a church-going type of person, you'll know that this is called the Great Commission. Well, who did Jesus commission? He commissioned his disciples, his followers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're commissioned. Jesus has commissioned you and other followers of Jesus all over the world to be his witness of his love and his power and his grace in our lives. He's empowered you and I. He's given us the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in the places to which we are called that desperately need to hear about the hope and the life and the love that comes from a life lived with Jesus. You know, I wonder, have you ever thought 
that you are called. It's a mission Sunday, and maybe you're worried, oh, some of us are going to be called out. In this passage, Jesus says, we're all called out. We've all been called out on a mission. Every follower of Jesus in the world has. And what this means is that he's not only empowered you and I, but he's empowered other Christians living and serving all over the world. He has empowered you, he's equipped you, and he's called you to be a witness to your friends, to your family, to your neighborhood, in our communities, in your school. Just like he's done the same with Amazonians and Pakistanis and Syrians and Chinese Christians who are called to reach their friends, their families, and their communities. And I've discovered what a joy it is to partner with these folks in their sorrows and in their celebrations as they boldly share the good news of Jesus under unbelievable circumstances. Partners International, as our name indicates, partners with brave men and women who are called to make a difference in their own communities, nations, and regions, just like you and I are called to do in our own context. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of death will not overcome it. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has been building his church and today it's stronger than it's ever been before. But it's stronger in different ways than it has in the past too. The church is now stronger in the traditional mission receiving regions of our world than it is in the Western world. <clears throat> there are now more vibrant, evangelical, Jesus-loving Christians in South America than in Europe and North America combined. The number of Christians in China exceeds the entire population of Canada by three times. It's estimated there's over 120 million Chinese Christians today. Southern and Central Africa is the most Christian region on earth. In the year 2000, there were more than 350 million Christians in Africa, and they estimate that by the year 2025, researchers tell us that over 40% of Africa will be Christian. The places that people often associate with going to as missionaries are now the places that are sending people to other places of the world, including Europe and North America. Paul Borthwick, a well-known missiologist, says it this way. If you want to visualize a typical contemporary Christian, you should think of a woman living in a village in Nigeria or a slum in Brazil or an island in the Philippines. He goes on to say, Christianity has become non-white, non-Western, and non-wealthy. Today's majority world Christian has far more in common with the first disciples of Jesus than it does with me. They're darker skinned, which is not hard in my case. They live someplace other than Europe or North America, and they have a much lower standard of living than I do. This helps us understand why there must be shifts that need to take place in global mission today. Believe it or not, Kenya or Ghana or the Philippines have a stronger and more vibrant church than the church in Canada. And because cross-cultural missionaries have done such a great job over the last number of years translating languages and building churches, each one of these countries and regions now have Bibles in their own language and churches in their own language. Thank you, my friend. 
If someone in the Philippines or Kenya wanted to learn about Jesus, there is a church in their own community and neighborhood and likely one close by, if not in their own. Maybe more interesting is that places like Brazil and Ghana now send more missionaries to places like Canada than we send there. In fact, it's estimated that right now there are 1,500 Ghanaese missionaries in Britain. Now, if you don't mind a little bit with me meddling, I'm a guest speaker, it's of low cost for me to meddle today, I want to meddle a little bit with our worldview, and we're even going to talk about finances for a minute. Did you know, 97% of all Christian missionaries worldwide will currently go from one country where the gospel is fairly accessible to another country where the gospel is already easily promoted or fairly accessible. Researchers tell us that there are approximately 400,000 cross-cultural missionaries in the world and that 393,000 of them are serving in places where there's already a vibrant uh, Christian church like Canada or England or Kenya or Brazil or the Caribbean. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's not opportunity to share the good news of Jesus in these places. We know that to be true in our own neighborhoods. But what I am saying is that of all of our missionary efforts worldwide, most missionaries go to other countries where there's already a vibrant and established Christian church. Meanwhile, 30% of the world has no access to the gospel, no churches, and almost no believers nearby. It's estimated that 2 billion people in our world today have no access to the good news of Jesus. There are no Christians in their tribe. There are no Christians that speak their language. There are no Christians that live in their village or in nearby villages. And for most of these people, there are governments and faith leaders who want to keep it that way. Less than 3% of all missionaries, or about 9,000 of the 400,000 missionaries worldwide, live amongst these 2 billion people. And to make matters worse, these 9,000 are pretty much on their own financially. Let me explain. Christians in wealthy countries like Canada, on average, give about 2% of their income to Christian causes. Most of this goes, as it should, to their local church, some of it to local outreach, and then some of it to global causes. Of that 2%, only 6% of the two goes to all missionary work. And of that, 99% of that 6% of our mission dollars are spent in places where the gospel is already fairly accessible. So let me put it into real-world terms. Let's imagine an average Canadian Christian with a salary of $50,000 a year. That person, statistics tells us, will give approximately 1,000 to Christian causes each year. Most of those gifts will be directed to their local church and to some other local causes. Of the $1,000 that's donated either directly to global work or through their local church, about 60 will leave Canada to go help others in another part of the world. But of that 60, 59 of those dollars will go to support missionaries working in places where there's already a vibrant Christian church. And many of those missionaries will also no longer be involved directly in evangelism. They'll be doing other important support roles. So if you've been tracking with my math, you'll know that $1 
of the average $50,000 salary a year will go to the places of the world where those two billion that have never heard the good news live. Now listen to this. Of that $1, 94 cents will go to support important development projects like building wells or uh, utilizing or creating food security. So in the end, only six cents a year of that $50,000 salary from Canadian Christians will go towards sharing the good news of Jesus or planting churches amongst the two billion people who have never heard the good news. Six cents a year. Just for context, people who identify as Christians in North America will spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets this year than they will give to the parts of the global church that are focused on sharing the good news of Jesus with people who have never heard that message. That's troubling to me. I hope it might be troubling to you too. And I believe that a part of my role is to have the privilege of coming and visiting churches across Canada to change this reality. And I'm asking for you to pray about that to help me to change that reality too. Partners International works with local leaders who are planting churches and sharing Jesus in places where few others can go and where most simply can't stay. Our missionaries minister where they already live, work, and in parts of the world where fewer, none of the others around them have heard the good news of Jesus. Our missionaries speak the language. They know the culture. They were born often right in the communities where they work or nearby to them. Many of them were led to faith by cross-cultural missionaries who came and faithfully shared the good news. And now they're a second generation of Christians who are able to build a church in their own language. Many of them have come to faith from other religious backgrounds, and so they know those religious backgrounds and views. They know how a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or an animist or an atheist thinks. And now they are Christian leaders who, just like the first Christians in the books of Acts, are planting the first churches in their communities. Jesus is sending his whole church to the whole world, and this looks very different today than it did only 50 years ago. And he's doing a new thing in his global church today. At one time in the global church, there are entire continents where there were no followers of Jesus or very few, and it required people from places like Britain and Canada and U.S. to go to these continents to bring the good news of Jesus. And we went. And cross-cultural mission was very effective. So much so that in the 21st century, there are new models that need to emerge. One place where our focus has shifted, where there's a new model, is in something we call local mission. For almost 100 years, most Canadian churches, were on, when they thought about the word mission, they thought about over there. But that is beginning to change. And today, I commend the Canadian church for our growing attention on our own communities. No one is more equipped to reach, teach, and equip the people of Edmonton to know, love, and serve Jesus than you and I are. And just like you and I are the best missionaries to the places where we work, to the places where we go to school, to the places where we play, it's the same for the Christians who are living in places like Nigeria or Egypt or China. And now, 
we have the privilege of working together as a global church. In Canada, we have the privilege of worshiping in relative safety and freedom, and most of us have relatively more wealth than most of the rest of the global church. But meanwhile, our brothers and sisters in challenging places have a deep play, uh, faith, and they've forged their faith through difficulties and hardships and persecutions. They have a joy that's contagious and, and a boldness that I need to adopt. I'm passionate about connecting Canadian Christians and churches with Christians who are in churches that are working in these parts of the world that so desire our connection. And they have so much to teach us, and they're desperate to be connected with us. So while I'd argue that it is very important that your church have a focus here in Edmonton, in your neighborhood, in our communities, because there's so many people right around us who need to know Jesus and the good news and the hope that living with him brings, we must not forget about our brothers and sisters living in the rest of the world and those who are serving in that part of the world that will regularly see six cents of every 50,000 given to help them do that work. When we partner with the global church, our horizons will be expanded. Our awareness grows. Our perspectives on life are challenged. And maybe most importantly, our hearts grow. I promise you that you and your church will discover the joy of unity and of mutuality when you partner with the global church. You'll build meaningful relationships that will inspire, encourage, and exhort you. The global church understands sacrificial obedience in ways that you and I desperately need to learn. They understand elements of the gospel that our affluence and our comfort have honestly hidden from our eyes. Recently, a missions pastor from another church here in Alberta confided in me. Her church works with us in northern Pakistan, and she said, Darren, I'm troubled that our support for evangelists that we're partnering with could lead to their death at the hand of extremists. And I responded back to her saying, I had that exact same fear until I spoke with their leader. And he said to me very bluntly, we're on a Zoom call, and he leans into his camera, and he says, Darren, you do not send us as evangelists. Jesus does. He has sent us, and it's him who we serve, in case you forgot. We will continue to share about Jesus with or without your support as much as we appreciate it. If we give up our lives for the cause of Christ, then that is what Jesus has asked of us. I've never uttered a paragraph like that in my life. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? If we had a whiteboard up here this morning and we were to brainstorm, we, we might say as a, as a humble servant. We might put up here as, as poor. Uh, we remind ourselves that he didn't come with one who had any human power or privilege. Jesus himself told us that he came like a lamb being led to the slaughter as we celebrated communion to remember. Jesus told us that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how the Father sent the Son. In God's great love, he sent his one and only son to reconcile a world far from him 
back to himself, to reconcile me and you to himself so that we can become his sons and daughters. As the Father has sent the Son, so he's sending us. At one point in Jesus' life and ministry, he sends his followers out to a number of villages nearby to communicate the good message that Jesus was on his way to come and proclaim the good news of a new kingdom. And Jesus said to them, go, I'm sending you like lambs amongst the wolves. Quite the pep talk for a coach to be giving on Super Bowl Sunday, wouldn't it be? Sign me up for that mission. But we learn more in the book of Acts. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts was written in the Greek language, and the, the word that is used for witness here is martis, from the word in which we get martyr. In 2019, I traveled to Peru to visit a ministry that's working along the Purus River, a river that's a tributary of the Amazon, but over 3,000 kilometers long itself. And there I met a man named Tito. Let's watch a little bit of Tito's story now. in some of the most challenging places worldwide. Hello, my name is Tito, and I'm a missionary to the Shipibo people in Peru. I live in Charashmana, a village in the Amazon rainforest. Our community is a three-day journey by motorboat to the nearest city. In my community, most of us live off the land. Our food comes from our gardens and what the jungle provides. We eat what we can hunt and fish. We have limited access to many things that other people take for granted because you can only get to our village by boat or float plane. My wife died from cholera because medicine wasn't available to treat her illness. Despite the real hardships we face here, I am humbled that God has called me to be a missionary to the tribal people of the Amazon. My brother and I were the first Christians in our community, even though my father was a shaman. There are many who still practice shamanism and they feel threatened by my message. Some people believe that a person will lose their culture if they become a Christian. I love to share my faith in Jesus and show others that it is possible to be a Christian without giving up on our culture and ways of life. I pastor a small church in my community. We see how God has uniquely positioned us to carry out His work here. Our missionaries speak many of the tribal languages and know the forests and rivers well. We visit remote communities that are not easy to get to. Often, we travel for days by canoe or on foot and have to eat whatever we find in the forest, like fruit, fish, worms, and small animals we can catch. The journey is always dangerous. We carefully watch for poisonous spiders and snakes and other threats like jowers that lurk along the jungle paths. The water and insects can also make you sick, and sometimes those we encounter are hostile to outsiders. I pray for protection every night when I travel, and God continues to sustain us. In recent years, the government restricted foreigners and even nationals from making contact with tribes living in the Amazon. But as an indigenous person, I can travel the jungle freely. If a tribe allows me to visit, 
I can go and talk about Jesus. While it can be risky to make contact, I believe Jesus has called us to go to every tribe and make disciples no matter the cost. There are very few Christians that can do what I've been called to do in our part of the world. We appreciate when our brothers and sisters in Christ recognize God's unique strategy for the Amazon. Partners International has come alongside us, helping us to meet medical needs, hosting our missions conference, developing income-generating projects for our missionaries and encouraging us with new ideas in missions from other parts of the world. Please pray for us as we continue our ministry, making the gospel known among the people of the Amazon. Currently, Tito and his fellow missionaries are reaching out to eight people groups in the Peruvian Amazon. There are still 43 people groups remaining just in Peru. By supporting Partners International Canada, the incredible and unique gospel work in the Amazon can continue and expand. Will you join with Tito and our other missionaries to the Amazon by supporting us today? Well, just recently we heard from our partners working in Peru and uh, they, uh, they shared with us this letter that I wanted to share with you. They wrote, please pray for our missionary Jairo who is working amongst a nomadic tribe called Mastanaba. Jairo was in the video that we just watched. They're supposed to be a protected by the government tribe. But there's another group called Yin who crosses over the river and kills people. This week they went over and killed all the people in one community, men, women, even their dogs. And then they burned the huts. Other communities near the area, including where Hiro is currently living, are very scared because this hostile tribe is still there. My brother, who has a leadership position in the area, is working and relocating nearby communities. And we're all praying for this situation. Please pray for the people and my brother Sergio so God gives him wisdom. Well, Hiro, when I spoke with him in 2019, shared with me about the challenges of serving God. One of the interesting things that he said to me is, and I said, how was your journey here? I was still kind of complaining about having to fly a tango plane all the way from Canada to Peru. And he says, oh, my journey was 23 days. And I'm thinking to myself, I'd better be good for somebody to travel 23 days for a three-day leadership conference. And so at the end of the conference, I asked Hiro, I said, Hiro, how much would it cost to get you on a float plane to get you back home faster? And Hiro, through a translator, says, oh, Darren, you're so Canadian. He says, you want to get home in a hurry. He says, it's going to take me longer to get home because I have to go upriver. But all those hours and all those days, I'll be with other people who I'll take time to love and share the good news of Jesus with and to pray with. He says, please don't take those opportunities away from me so I can just get home sooner. He told me as we talked about his mission that he had counted the cost and, and that if it were Jesus' will, he would even give his life so that the Mastanaba people might learn of God's great love for them. And just last week, we heard that the Yin tribe continues to make life difficult for him and for others. As he's been approaching the Yin communities by canoe, they shout, shoot poisonous blow darts at him. And he's had to turn around and try and try again. And he's asked that we would pray that God would protect him as he goes to the Mastanaba and now the Yin tribe to tell them about Jesus. And I promise you that despite the hardship and the true and real risk for him, 
Hira will try again and again. As the father has sent the son, Jesus now sends Hira. And he's sending you and I to the difficult places in our lives, into our workplaces, and into our schools, and into our homes to bring hope and love and the good news of Jesus to our communities. Well, let's read the passage one more time together because maybe we uh, need this reminder. And then I've got a couple of final points. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. The good news of this is that we go in the authority of Jesus. Jesus reminds us that the Father has given him all authority. Now, in our culture, we don't really like the word authority anymore, right? it's, It's not popular. We think of tyranny or dictatorship and abuse of power. Jesus has authority because he's sovereign. And what his authority means is that he not only has the right to do something, but he actually has the power and the ability to do it. Throughout his ministry, the Bible tells us that Jesus spoke as one who had authority, not like the religious leaders of the day. He has the power and he has the right to breathe life into death, to call those who are far off near to himself, and to make those who are once aliens of God sons and daughters in the household of God. In his authority, he has broken down the dividing wall between God and humanity. And it's with this authority that he says to you and I and to a global church, move out, get going, don't just sit there. But how we get going is going to look different today than it may have 100 years ago. Dr. Johannes Reimer from the World Evangelical Alliance, uh, recently he and I were speaking and he said this, the future of mission does not lie with the Western church any longer. Indigenous churches and leaders in the majority world are the focus of 21st century mission. Today's global mission is shifting to identify and mobilize and equip Christian leaders who are already living in the most difficult and challenging places on earth. And so strategic churches in Canada today must also follow along to focus and identify these mission leaders who are already living in these challenging places so that we can help to mobilize and equip them to lead in their own language, in their own cultures, and in their own communities. Many years ago, Charles Studd wrote, the light that shines furthest shines brightest at home. And our Canadian churches are taking this seriously. This means that our mission is primarily to our own community. Similarly, in the rest of the world, their mission is to their own communities. And so churches that were once just these small pioneer outposts of cross-cultural Canadian witnesses are now raising up passionate, outreach-minded people. And they're exploding with incredible impact in these very difficult-to-reach places. The predominant model of our mission, mission work used to be from the West to the rest. But a global mobilized church is now all about raising up leaders to reach, teach, and equip people to love and follow Jesus right 
where they already live. And Jesus isn't telling us to just send a small group of us over there so the rest of us can just sit around. Instead, Jesus says, go into all the world, which means our own neighborhoods, our own communities, our own homes, our own schools. It is a non-negotiable for every Christian to go. And then Jesus gives us a promise. And his promise is that as you go, he will go with you and you will go in his authority. We know that he is building his church and that the gates of, of hell will not prevail against it. For Partners International, in our small work, it has meant launching over 750 new churches in the midst of COVID just this past year. And there's something else that Jesus said to us in Matthew. In Matthew 24, 14, he said this, this gospel of the kingdom, it's gonna be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We don't know when the end will come. We're told not to spend a whole lot of time thinking about when the end will come, but we know the end will come. And one sign that we're given is that the end will come when the good news of Jesus has been preached to the whole world. The founder of People's Church in Toronto, Oswald J. Smith, is often quoted as saying these words. Why should anyone get to hear the good news about Jesus twice before everyone has had the chance to hear it at least once? Well, it's estimated that there are about, this is a technical language, but there are about 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. Of those 17,000 ethnic linguistic groups, 7,000 are still considered unreached by Christian researchers. What that means is that there's no messengers of the good news of Jesus that have reached their language or their tribe or their community yet. How will we bring the good news of Jesus to these places? Is it about more Canadians going to these tribes? It might be. That's one approach, and it's an approach that we know well. But it's a real challenge, and one of the real challenges with this is that it's almost impossible and extremely dangerous for a cross-cultural missionary to go to many parts of the world. I don't know if when you watched the video, you saw me in it, and I happen to be this much taller than everybody else in the video. When I go to Pakistan, I don't get quite why, but I stand out a little bit. A big Dutchman doesn't really fit in in most parts of the world, except when I go visit Europe. But the good news is, is that there are many Christians who are actually just waiting for the chance to be a part of what God is doing in their own regions, in their own communities, and they even already know the language and they know the context. Hundreds of thousands of missionaries had to return home during COVID. All of our missionaries that we work with were already home. They had to pivot to, make, uh, to, to handle the new responsibilities that came. Uh, great crisis in most parts of the world. People instantly lost their jobs. Think of what happens when hundreds of thousands, millions of day workers in India no longer have a work for the day and what that will mean because of COVID. Uh, we complained about what happened here during shutdowns. At the beginning of COVID, shutdown meant that all the buses and trains stopped working. It was terrible, but our partners came and said, this is an opportunity for us to share with people who are so impoverished the good news of Jesus and the wealth 
of his love in their lives and world today. And finally, Jesus promises to be present with us. He promises to go with us and to empower us with the Holy Spirit. There is a place and a role for every follower of Jesus. And this might be one of the biggest changes that's happened in our emphasis of mission over the last 25 years. See, at one time, and maybe if you're as old as I am, you might remember this, a a missions pastor would have come and they would have preached in the same passage of scripture and they would have had slides, not an overhead projector. And uh, we were joking earlier, there'd be a picture out the window of the the, uh, wing of the plane that they'd show and their slideshow would end with a sunset at the beach, right? And we'd all be asked to close our eyes and to pray together. And then there might be one or two or three intrepid ones of us, usually young adults, who would be asked to stand, to take the call, to be sent out as missionaries. Good news and bad news. I'm not doing that prayer today. Other good news or bad news. It's not about one, two, or three of us intrepid ones standing. All of us have been called to be missionaries in the places where we live, work, and play. That's the Great Commission message. Some of us may still be called to go out into other uh, types of mission, to go into full-time Christian ministry, or to be sent as cross-cultural workers because there is a need for cross-cultural workers of a certain type. But all of us have been sent out, and just like we have been sent out to our neighborhoods and our communities, and Jesus promises to go with you when you go to your school tomorrow, when you go to your workplace tomorrow, when you go to your home in just a few minutes. The same is true for those that we work with. And so my call to all of us today is that you not forget them. That maybe you be troubled like I am about the six cents of every 50,000 of dollars earned here in Canada that might make its way to those that we work with that are serving on the front lines of what God is doing in challenging places. I just heard from Yemen. Yemen is a a country with, I think it's, I'm forgetting the population, I think it's something like 40 million people in Yemen. It's in the midst of a civil war. It's pretty much completely closed off to foreigners. There's less than 20,000 Christians in the entire place. Just heard a story that 200 people came to know Jesus this last year through Yemenese workers who are faithfully sharing the good news of Jesus with those they live, work, and play with. I invite you to join me on this mission. And I encourage you to be a missionary in the places where you live, work, and play. And that you'll celebrate with the global church and what God is doing in some of the most difficult places. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the good news that Jesus came so that I could be reconciled to you. Lost as I am, you've reconciled me to yourself. You've made me a child in your home. And that offer is available to each and every single one of us today here. We can be children of the household of God when we say yes to walking with you and receive Christ as our Savior and the forgiver of our sins. Father, we thank you for what you're doing around the world, for the work that's happening in Afghanistan today, for the new followers of Jesus in Yemen, for those in northern Pakistan who are faithfully sharing with thousands of refugees, many of whom become disillusioned with their faith because what they've seen. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in and through them to bring about transformation and that they would know hope even in the midst of such great despair. We pray for our friend Brother A, who's in Abu Dhabi today with his wife and three kids, and we pray that you'll be with them and protect them as he even works to share the good news of Jesus with others in that refugee camp. 
Father, we think of Hiro and we pray for him as he continues to work to share the good news with the Mastanaba and Yin people. And Father, I pray that his words would be powerful and profound. I'm inclined to pray for their safety. And yet we know that they are praying that we might know, like them, the joy of suffering in your name. Father, thank you for these bold friends, brothers and sisters who pray those kinds of prayers that encourage us and equip us and exhort us to walk more boldly in our faith. Go with us today as we go into the places where you've called us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.